1: All right. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Food Therapy Podcast. We are so excited to welcome Molly from Molly Kate Wellness on Instagram today. And Molly is actually a body image expert. She actually comes and helps us out in my program in the Empower Method. And she is just a wealth of knowledge. So, welcome, Molly. We are so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. Of course. So let's start with how did you get to the place that you're in now in terms of your own journey with body image and also getting into the work that you do now?
2: Mm, Yeah, I'll try to tell the medium version of the story because there's like the long version, the short version, but I'll try to tell the medium so we can get kind of some of the good juicy parts. So of course, like my journey my journey to coaching kind of started with my own journey around my relationship to food and body. My relationship to food really started actually with some digestive problems. And so I was given um, a diagnosis of IBS and I didn't like the medication. It just didn't make me feel good. It helped the IBS, but I I remember, I think I got headaches and like wasn't sleeping. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to try to figure this out without medication, which is like a totally normal, healthy thing to do if that fits into your life, right? So, um, somebody had mentioned going gluten-free and so I went gluten-free and I felt better, but not all the way. And then somebody mentioned going dairy-free. So I went completely dairy-free and I felt better, but not all the way. And so then it just snowballed into this obsession of removing foods to feel better, which again, normal and healthy to try to feel better, but it really was a slippery slope for me of restriction and removing foods from my diet. Um, and then where it really got dangerous. Well, I guess there's like a couple of points where it like got better and then it got even worse. <laughs> it got better and then I got even worse. So in grad school, I kind of um, had this like, Brene Brown likes to call it an awakening, but it was truly like a quarter-life crisis. I was definitely a people-pleaser and perfectionist. And so I spent my entire life curating what looked to be a perfect life on the outside. And I was basically performing and I wasn't doing things that were actually important to me. And so all of those perfect things started to basically implode and crumble around me. Um, I was getting my second degree in a career that I realized I didn't want to do. I had a partner who we had planned on getting married and he just left me. I was having um, some like issues with my, my parents and my family. Um, And so when that all started happening before it like really imploded, I think I was craving a sense of control. And so I decided, you know, I really want to be this weight. And let me tell you, it was like much smaller than I am now. And also was like, A five-pound difference. And I thought that those five pounds was going to like change my entire life and make me feel so much better. Um, and I was already in a really small body, I was already exercising a ton because that was just my lifestyle at the time. And so then I started to restrict my calories to a very small amount. It's a number that many people try. And so I, I don't have to say the number, but most people probably know what I'm talking about. It wasn't enough for me. Um, and so I kind of went into that binge restrict cycle. I was trying to hit this calorie mark. I wasn't able to hit it because (laughs) my calorie need was probably like literally twice as much because I was just a very active person so that I would binge at night restrict even more the next day, try to like quote unquote burn it off. And so I felt fell into this binge restrict cycle. Um, and I was like, I'm not losing the weight. Why isn't this working? Why can't, I control myself? Why don't I have the willpower? Um, Luckily, I had a friend who had struggled with eating disorders in the past, and I had been talking to her, her about my weight struggles being completely oblivious to like, her past struggles and how it might be triggering her. But luckily she was at a point in her recovery where she was like, Molly, this isn't healthy. You're like really on the road to either an eating disorder or at least disordered eating. And you're probably already at disordered eating. And it took a few times for her to tell me this for it to finally click and be like, oh my gosh, this is so not okay. I was weighing myself every morning and night. I was picking myself apart in the mirror. Um, I, Like I said, I was in that binge restrict cycle, trying to restrict to a ridiculous amount. So at that point, I threw away my scale. I basically started doing intuitive eating without knowing what it was. I was like, I just need to give myself permission to eat. Just intuitively, I knew that that's what I had to do but then I gained weight and I got scared and was like, I need to fix this. Um, so I probably intuitively ate for about, I would say six to eight months, gained some weight that was probably very necessary. Right. Um, and then I fell into an obsession with clean eating and I was like, I don't want to count calories because I obviously can't do that. So let me just eat super healthy so I don't have to count calories. And that lasted much longer because, of course, that's like praised in our society. Um, But what really started to happen was my life just got smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller because I was preventing myself from going out to eat with my friends. I stopped drinking because alcohol was the devil and a toxin and had too much sugar and X, Y, and Z. And so I never went out with my friends anymore. Even though I wasn't a big drinker, it was like, I can't even be around it. I can't even put myself in this situation and quote unquote, control myself. I remember one time being at like a barbecue and there was a bowl of Doritos in front of me and I couldn't focus on the conversation because I was trying so hard to resist the Doritos. And when I couldn't resist, then the dialogue in my head was like, I can't believe you're doing this. I was like so disconnected from the moment. And that happened for years. I was probably in that place for like, probably a solid four years um, so I I had started health coaching and my original plan as a health coach was to teach people how to be healthy all the time and do whole 30 and like for forever right to to heal your relationship to food <laughs> um, but then thankfully in the health coaching space that was like very very early on I had only taken on a couple clients with that approach um, I learned what intuitive eating was and just had this moment of like oh my gosh, this is what I need. And this is what I need to to coach to other women. So I dove in head first. Once I felt like I had my feet underneath me, I started coaching it to other women as well. Um, So I started off doing intuitive eating coaching, but then what I found over the years was the sticking point for so many women, almost every single woman was body image. And so what I see is we have this layer of our relationship to food. And when we peel that back, we see our relationship to our body, and when we peel that back, we see our relationship to ourself and our self-worth and that kind of thing. So as I did the intuitive eating, I just saw that what I was really coaching women on was body image um, and self-worth, and so decided to just kind of shift into that niche completely, um, especially as it pertains to intuitive eating and how our body changes throughout that process. And so that's kind of how I got to where I am today.
1: Love it. You and I have such a similar story in the sense of like, oh, I'm just going to eat clean. Right. And then it becomes an obsession. And then I have the whole same thing with alcohol. There's too much sugar in wine. I can't have wine. Like, and now I'm like, I'm going to get a beer after this. And I can't wait. It's 88 degrees outside. And that's happening.
0: It's so interesting to like the alcohol piece for so long. I think there was a control thing for me. Like my anxiety prohibited me from drinking because I didn't like the feeling of not feeling like myself. But then there was a calorie portion too. And so it's so interesting now how I genuinely look for a cocktail that sounds refreshing to me and sounds good. And I don't think about, oh my God, how much sugar is in this? Like how much added sugar is in this? I'm like, no, like this sounds amazing. Like love mezcal, Yeah. Yeah. I'm
2: exactly the same. I think uh, a lot of it was the control piece. I don't like to not feel like myself. I also don't like to not feel like in control or that I can choose to leave safely. And like, though that's a whole other part. And I honor that part because it's just not worth it. (laughs) And my hangovers are like pure anxiety. So I was just like at a pretty young age, I was like, all right, no more hangover. So I'm the same as you, Brittany. I'm like, Okay, like I'm going to I really enjoy like a really well-made cocktail. Um and so I can like enjoy alcohol now not thinking about the calories and also still honor like I know how I want to feel when I'm drinking alcohol and I can, you know, I I'm in choice, right? Um so it feels good to like be at that place where I'm like I can go out and get a cocktail if one sounds good. I can go out and not drink. I can go out and get a mocktail. Like I I'm always in choice and it's it's just about what feels good for me in the moment.
0: Amazing. So great. So I was just going to dive right in, Molly. You know, obviously, we are slowly exiting the pandemic. Um, I say slowly because we're still not quite there yet. But what I found from clients is this anxiety, not only seeing people that they haven't seen in months and, you know, the body comparison, if their friends had lost weight during this time period, but then also like with summer coming, there's so much noise from diet culture and the diet industry, like summer bodies, beach bodies. And so there's that added layer as well. So I'm curious, like what your advice would be for people who are coming out of this pandemic and having some anxiety about it?
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Such a good question. I know that's like top of mind for so many people. And one thing that I'm hearing a lot that I want to kind of challenge a little bit is it's been a pandemic. It's been a really hard year. It's okay that you gained weight. And that just like really supports the narrative that we need an excuse for our body to change or gain weight. And so I just want to remind ourselves that our body is always doing the best it can, whether it's thriving and not in a pandemic, whether it's in a pandemic, whether we're postpartum, we just had kids, your body is always 100% of the time doing the absolute best that it can. And we don't need an excuse for our body to change. Um, So that is first and foremost, because I'm seeing a lot of that narrative of like, it's okay that your body changed. It's like, it's always okay that your body changed. It's not just that it's a pandemic. So I just wanted to first challenge that. Um, But in terms of the anxiety um, and and comparison, there's so many different directions we could go. So I'll I'll go the direction of comparison first, because I think that's, something that people tangibly see and notice themselves doing. And one of my favorite questions to ask people who are specifically comparing a lot is, what do you believe that that person has that you don't? Right. And it's not just about their body. Right. Because your first response might be like, well, they have a smaller body. Well, what do you believe that they have in their life because of their small body that you don't? Because that's what's really underneath your desire to compare is underneath our desire for weight loss, underneath our comparison that we're always doing is one of your core desires, and we have many core desires. So I often ask the question, you know, what do you believe that they have that you don't? What do you believe that weight loss is going to bring into your life? Um, Recently, I had a client who her body has changed quite a bit after marriage, and we kind of uncovered that she has this inner dialogue that's saying other people are thinking, oh, poor Carlos, his wife gained so much weight. And so I asked her, you know, what do you believe that those quote unquote fit couples, right? What do you believe that they have that you guys don't have right now? And she said, passion. And I was like, well, that's what this is about, right? It's because you feel like you've lost some passion between the two of you. And that's something that you can bring back right now, right, in so many different ways. So we brainstorm different ways that like they could do that, right? And so things like cooking in the kitchen together, going for walks together, spending more intentional time together, like going on dates and that kind of stuff. So there's always something underneath it. Other things that I hear often are, Um, a partner. Um, They have like a great career. They have like really good friends. So it's like, okay, that desire for weight loss is actually a desire for connection, um, partnership, um, love, or, you know, whatever it is. Right. So for those of you who are comparing or worried about you know, what you look like now in the world, right? I encourage you to kind of figure out what is underneath that desire for you to change your body. And once you identify it, then you get to decide, okay, how do I get to step towards that now in this body? Even if that feels a little bit uncomfortable at first, because it will, because we all have this image of what our perfect life will look like with our smaller body, right? This like thin ideal that's all in our head. Um, And so going after the things that you want in a larger body or a different body is gonna feel uncomfortable at first because it doesn't fit that old vision. But know that you can absolutely get all of the things that you wanted in a smaller body. And I I would also um, argue that you're going to get them in a way that feels better than you ever expected and is more sustainable because when you lead with body size as your foundation for confidence, it's a shaky foundation because the confidence that we get from body size is, I want to say like momentary or like, it's not sustainable. It's like a little spark of confidence but it's not sustainable. I feel like Lauren's like looking for the word I'm looking for in her uh, brain. <laughs> um, conditional? Conditional. Yeah. That's not the word I was thinking of, but that's also a good word, right? It's like, it's like, I can have this confidence if I look like this. Um, but what you do want is unconditional confidence, right? Where like, you know who you are at your core, that's real confidence. Cause that's unwavering. And maybe that's the word I was looking for wavering, right? Like, when you really know who you are at your core, and we'll probably get into this at at some point, but some of my foundational pieces are understanding what your values are as a human being, because everyone's values are different. And so often we're living our life in alignment with the values we think we should have. And that's what doesn't feel good. (laughs) It's, It's not that you don't feel good in your body. It's because you're not living in alignment with your values. And so when you identify those and you start making decisions in your life, To live in as close of alignment as you can to those values, that feels really good. The other foundational piece I do with my clients is uncovering our like core magic, our core essence, our core gifts. People call them different things. Because the truth is that we all have a purpose for being here on this planet, and our purpose is to be ourselves. That's it. So what does that mean, right? Like, what does it mean to be ourselves? And that's what I I really get at when we talk about core magic and it's little things, right? It's like some of my core magic is that I'm really aware. So like, I really notice my surroundings. I notice other people and, and I'm really good at like reading the space and, and making other people as comfortable as I can. And so knowing that that's a gift of mine, I get to share that whenever I feel called to, and that feels really good. It makes me feel really good that I can do that. Of course, there's other pieces of magic too, but we're never taught to identify those things, right? You might already know some of yours, but when you know them and you choose to exemplify and share them and expand them, it's like, oh man, I I am me and nobody else is me and I'm here for a reason, even if it's those little things, because truly our purpose isn't like, I'm going to go solve the water crisis in Africa and bring fresh water to everyone. Right. Like that's cool. If you do that, like, I'm super proud of you. That's amazing. Right. But like, that's not your purpose and that's not who you are. Right. So we have to get down to the base level. Yeah. And then that's just evidence that
1: what you like now you're stepping into your values and things that really fill you up. And, um, cause we've had this conversation and that's a major part of the reason why you're at your happiest place, right? Not because you're in a certain size body.
2: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I've definitely been at at my lowest weight. I was the most unhappy, and I'm now currently at my heaviest weight. I'm the happiest I've ever been. It's like looking back, it's like, wow, I all the things that I have now are the things that I wanted then and didn't have. Um, But I thought that my body was going to bring it to me, and that's just not the case. It's not
0: right. And I also think when it's only about your body, then I've even had this with myself and I see this with clients, but when they actually get down to their quote unquote dream or ideal body size, they're so disappointed because all this newfound confidence doesn't actually arrive. So they're like, where's the confidence? Like maybe I have to lose more weight. I have to do more to shrink my body. And at that point, it never becomes enough. And that's a really slippery slope as well. Yep.
2: Exactly. Absolutely. And that. And it, it is also important to acknowledge that if you are in a body size that is oppressed and marginalized, you have extra layers of of existing in society. I do still have thin privilege, even though I've gone up multiple sizes. I am still. I still have a lot of thin privilege. Um, so. I do want to acknowledge that if you are in a size body that's marginalized or oppressed or a type of body that's marginalized or oppressed, um, there are absolutely more barriers to existing in our society because you're getting true judgment and discrimination. So that's a different barrier all within itself. So I just want to acknowledge that.
1: And honestly, I'm not sure that our listeners even know what thin privilege is. So do you want to go into that a little bit?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean it's it's such a nuanced topic and I'm certainly not an expert in um body size oppression because I have thin privilege so uh, a, a really simple way to think about it is um, if you are straight size so straight size meaning you can go to a store and and it's way more complex than this listeners so please understand it's so much more complex than this but this is just an easy like indicator or I'll give a couple easy indicators if you can go into any store and generally find a size of clothing that fits you. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like fits you well. I mean, like physically fits onto your body. If you go to the doctor and your weight is not ever really a topic of conversation or it's not, um, it doesn't impede the doctor's ability to like provide you care because, um, I've had many clients who are like, I went in for an earache and they told me I needed to lose weight. So those are two big indicators. Like if you can walk into a store and find a a general store and find a size that fits your body, you have thin privilege. Um, And if you go to the doctors and your weight is never a topic of conversation or rarely a topic of conversation, you likely have thin privilege. Thin privilege does not mean you don't struggle with body image. You do. If you're listening to this podcast, you have body image struggles. But what thin privilege means is that you don't have added barriers in society to things like clothing your body, getting uh, fair medical care. Um, you don't have that barrier because of your body. Also things like Fitting into airline seats and restaurant seats, having adequate seating that you fit into. If you don't struggle with that, you have thin privilege, or you have at least some elements of thin privilege. The people that don't fit into that are are, have real true barriers. Like I said, they go to the doctors and all they hear about is their weight. And often this causes them to avoid the doctor and have more medical issues. Or the doctor literally ignores the signs and symptoms of what's really going on and just tells them to lose weight first and come back. So their their health outcomes are not as good because of this marginalization that's happening. So that's my explanation. And like I said, it's so much more nuanced and I am not an expert in this, um, but I hope that kind of gives a general sense of of what that means.
1: Yeah, that was such a great explanation. And I think it's so important to point out too, like- No matter what size body you're in, it's totally valid that you have struggles with your body. It's just those additional layers that you might be struggling with if you um, are not, if you do not have thin privilege or if you are in a body that is at baseline oppressed already. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for explaining that because I feel like it is definitely a nuanced topic, but it definitely needs to be talked about more. So speaking of, you know, different size bodies, and I kind of want to, and Molly, you and I have kind of chatted about this, how we're not necessarily therapists. We don't deal with any type of relationship. You know, we can provide advice, but we're not like couples therapists. Right. Um, so have you had clients or dealt with any situations where, uh, you know, maybe you're gaining weight and it's uncomfortable and there's kind of just this like dissonance in the relationship and either the person who's gaining weight, isn't comfortable bringing it up with their partner or whatever it is. But for some reason, not for some reason, I mean, they live in our society. It's very common to have internalized fat phobia, but what is, uh, what do you do in that stance where you feel like it's impacting your relationship when your partner has this internalized fat phobia?
2: Yeah, such a good question because I think it's something that like <laughs> everybody comes up against if you are in a partnership um, and they are not fully on board yet with the health at every size, intuitive eating, um, body acceptance message because the the standard, unfortunately, in our society is weight stigma, fear of weight gain, fat phobia. So the, the thing I like to acknowledge first and foremost is if you are doing those things like identifying your values and living in alignment with them, sharing your gifts, and, and basically standing in the truth of who you are and being unapologetically yourself, people see that. I've had clients who, um, have done intuitive eating and then they do kind of that internal work of like who they are, what their gifts are. And they start sharing that and living in alignment and standing in their truth of who they are. And people start to ask like, Hey, what are you doing? You look great, right? Like it is like the ultimate glow up, like whether you gain weight, whether your body stays the same, right? Um, living in your truth and being unapologetically yourself to me is the ultimate glow up people notice. And so it has a true ripple effect. So if the relationship is challenging and, and you don't really know how to like talk about it first and foremost, do your own inner work, focus on yourself. And that is going to have a huge, huge ripple effect. Um, the other thing is, you know, do you feel comfortable sharing your journey? Because that vulnerability piece, if you let someone in and you tell them what you've been going through and what you've been through in the past and where you wanna go, that's going to help them really understand why you're doing what you're doing and why these changes are happening. Um, And then that vulnerability piece makes it easier to also set boundaries if necessary. I'm not saying that you absolutely have to set boundaries. I, I mean, again, like Lauren mentioned, like we are not relationship counselors or mental health professionals here, but that vulnerability piece, if you feel safe and comfortable doing that can be so powerful. And then setting boundaries around, you know, what you feel comfortable talking about right now in the relationship, like what you don't want them to say, what's okay to say when it comes to food and body. And also recognizing that like if those boundaries might not always be hard and fast and they might flow and change in the future as you heal. Um, Now, if the thought of like, having a conversation with your partner about this is terrifying. If they're making, um, comments that really truly feel like they're hurting your feelings, then that's definitely a time to consider therapy and finally finding yourself a relationship counselor, because I can't give advice on that, but those are, you know, a a good sign that like, if this relationship is important to you, then, you know, that's a good place to go to kind of work through some of those issues.
1: Totally. Yeah. I think it's definitely a gray area. You know, always, we always recommend consulting a professional. And I really like the idea of the ripple effect because it's so true when you, if even just your language, like, even if you just start like incorporating more of like, oh, guilt's not an ingredient or like little, like little subtle jabs, like people pick up on that and it can, And you're not going to change the way someone thinks by saying, by having one conversation, you might in the beginning, just completely disagree, but slowly, like, even when I started intuitive eating, I used to literally be the person that was like, I don't believe in that. That's crazy. I would just eat everything, you know? And then I was like, oh, well then I don't really believe in haze, but I believe in intuitive eating. And it took me a long time to fully understand, um, because I was only really getting bits and pieces. I was hearing like, oh, well, intuitive eating. So you're just, supposed to eat whatever you want. But now I'm the one educating people like, no, that's not what this is. You're eating. Yes. You can eat whatever you want, but that's not what's necessarily going to happen that you're going to like have all the cookies and the cake. And you're going to feel like crap. If you do that, it might be like that in the first phase, but we incorporate vegetables. We incorporate gentle nutrition. So, um, it takes a long time to understand a completely new school of thought. So I think having that patience and that open communication is so important, especially when like, if you're going through disordered eating or an eating disorder, when it comes to language around food or co- like, it's so, it's such a right of pet, like people just comment on your food. Why didn't you finish it? Oh, why? do you want more? Do you want seconds? Like we, like you need to just have that open communication where it's like, I honestly, like they probably don't understand if they've never struggled with this. Like, can we just like not talk about food? Can we just like talk about something completely different when we're eating? Like don't comment on me eating a lot. Don't comment me on me not eating enough. Don't comment on the type of food. Like Honestly, if you want to be safe, then just don't make comments about food, right? And having that open communication because they likely don't know if they've never experienced it before.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I agree with all of the above and it's just hard because I truly think that everyone is also so entrenched in diet culture. I mean, I even know my mom, love her to pieces. I was eating potato chips and she's like, why are you eating potato chips? I was like, why not? Like, what? She's like, you're a dietitian. I'm like, what does that even mean? Like, I'm a dietitian who truly believes that all foods fit. And so it's actually funny because Lauren, as you were speaking, I was like, oh my God, I'm. I can so relate to the intuitive eating, not understanding it. I actually went back in my phone and had screenshots dating back from like 2015, 2016 when it started to come up on my social media and I was like, I don't get this. I'm like, "I, I kind of like what they're saying, but I don't fully get it. And even when I purchased intuitive eating, I picked it up, read a chapter and was like, yeah, no, this is not for me. Put it down, picked it up again a year and a half later when I was really ready. And I think this has to do a lot with body image too, Molly, right? It's like someone really needs to be at a place where they just they can have a level of acceptance and it's really not easy to get there, especially when you've dreamed about being a certain size. And there's, I know like Brie talks about this a lot, but the like body grief and, you know, I am moving tomorrow and I went through my entire closet, ended up selling two massive boxes of clothing that I really, really loved, but that didn't fit my body. And I was never going to be in that size again. And there was like a bit of like a grieving process that took place. Like I was sad. I'm like, I really love this, you know, crop top or this jumpsuit. And I was like, but this isn't my body anymore. And like, that's okay.
2: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The body changes are hard and yeah, that grief piece is, is huge. And it's, it's a part that people often overlook because I think, and Brie talks about this as well, Our society is so quick to the positivity and the reframe and thinking good things, right? But really when we're letting go of our thin ideal, we have to grieve that. And it's sad and it's frustrating and there's anger that comes along with it. It's like, it's true grief, right? There's bargaining, there's anger, there's sadness, but at the end of grief, there's acceptance and purpose, right? And so, yes, you kind of had mentioned like, it takes a while to get there. And I don't like to use the word ready because like, there's never a time where we're really ready to do most anything, but I think we do get to a place where we're willing. We're like, I'm not willing to go on diets anymore. And I am willing to try this out. I don't know what's going to happen. It feels scary. And that mix of things is a really good sign that like, yeah, you're quote unquote ready. And it's a good time to start doing that work.
0: Yeah. Like willing and open, yeah. I would say too. Yeah. To just like a different outlook. Mm -hmm. And
2: a little bit of fear. You're going to have a little bit of fear when you start this process. If you're doing it intentionally, some people kind of do it just like under the radar. And then like over time, they're like, Oh, I've accepted this. And that's great. But if you're doing it intentionally, there will absolutely be fear associated with it. And so if you're feeling the fear know that that is so normal and it's welcomed, right? And it's, it's all information. It's good stuff to dig into. Like, where did the fear come from? What is it trying to keep you safe from? How can we befriend it and understand why it's there so we can, again, get down to some of our core desires and the things that we really want because that's what it's indicating for us.
0: So kind of going off on like a bit of a tangent, but related to fear. So something that I've been hearing a lot as well, you know, from clients was, Now that, again, COVID is slowly coming somewhat to an end, not quite, but there have been changes. The idea of dating is terrifying. And so not only have some of us, including myself, forgot how to socialize, like truly, but also just having, being more vulnerable when they're in a body that they might not feel comfortable in and they're afraid of the judgment from the guy or female, even though there was nothing that took place that would have created that or like that fear of judgment, but that's like the inner judge or inner fear of judgment that they have. So I'm curious what your advice would be for some of the single listeners who are excited to go back into the dating scene, but also quite fearful as well.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I love this topic. My best friend is a dating coach. So like It's like literally my favorite topic because she has helped me so much. Um, I just recently found a partner who's just like amazing. And I never would have considered him as a partner in like my old approach of thinking. Um, So my first thing that I want to say about dating in a different body or a larger body is first and foremost, do you judge your, your partners based on body size? The answer is typically no. So then the second question I ask is, do you want a partner who judges you based on body size? The answer is also probably no. So it is the best filter ever, right? Like if someone is is judging you based on body size, thank you next. I don't know about you, but I don't want a giant pool of partners to choose from. That is a lot of work, right? I want to narrow that pool way down. And a great way to do that is to notice when people are commenting on bodies. When I was on the apps, if a, I, I date men. And so if a, a dude was like commenting on bodies early on, I literally just like unmatched, moved on. Like it was not worth my energy. And I suggest the same <laughs> to all women if that's a value and a priority of yours. So notice it early. And thank you next. It will narrow down your pool of fish in the sea. And I would much rather have 10 really high quality potential partners to choose from than a hundred and 90 of them are going to judge me for my body. So that would be my absolute first thing to say. And and usually when I tell my clients that, they're like, oh, I never thought about it that way. But like, it's a really good way to like, quote unquote, weed people out. Um, The second thing that I love um, talking about because my best friend who's a dating coach is really challenging the narrative and the stories we have around what attraction means. I think the old paradigm of attraction is physical attraction only, right? And so I encourage listeners to like really get curious about like what are attractive qualities to them and leading with those and allowing the physical attraction to warm up and, and kind of grow. So the way that my friend talks about it is often when you're leading into a relationship and it's not all relationships, you can have a healthy partnership. If the, the physical attraction was a flame and a raging fire right away, like that can work, but oftentimes that raging fire Fizzles out really quickly. So, what she talks about is Is there a little spark? Is there a little ember that you can intentionally grow to be a sustainable, warm fire over time? Because those hot and fast flames burn out quickly. So, what we want to look for is leading with the things that are really attractive to us. So, for me, kindness is first and foremost, right? Like when a man is kind and in like a really intentional way that I can observe, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm curious. Right. So that's my first little spark. Right. And then it, you just get, have to get clear on like, what are those other things that are attractive to you, right? So continuing to let that spark grow. And then that physical attraction piece will come and will grow and will turn into a flame instead of leading with that flame. It's a completely different paradigm. It is really uncomfortable to do at first because you're like, I don't know if this is right. This doesn't feel like it used to feels totally different. Nobody else does things this way. Um, but I've seen time and time again, both with her clients that she works with, um, and also within myself that it's like, I'm now in a partnership that I didn't think existed. Like I had honestly given up on thinking that I could find a partner that had these qualities. And I'm like, Whoa, it actually exists. He might be a unicorn, but I found him. <laughs> So that's, that's what I would say. It's like, it's good to narrow the pot down and literally thank you next, the people that are prioritizing your body size first and foremost. And can we shift our idea of attraction and lead with things that are attractive to us, like kindness and let the physical attraction grow later?
0: I love that. And I also think a lot of this has to do with maturity. Um, So I, I found like in the last like six, six-ish years of dating for me, that is what I've done. So like, I wasn't necessarily attracted to someone on the first date, but I'm like, you know what? There are qualities about this person that I do like, and let me give this a chance. And I'm not even joking. Every single time I ended up finding the person extremely attractive with time once I really got to know them as a human. And so I completely, completely relate to that as well.
1: And it's kind of like, you know, when I don't know why this just popped in my head, I have never had children, but I've always (laughs) heard, you know, of husband and wives or whoever has kids, like my husband got so much more attractive when I saw him being a dad, like Mm. just because they like loved, like seeing him being compassionate or whatever it was because they were so attracted to that. He didn't physically change whatsoever, but those little things. But, and it's really hard because in our society, it's like, it's another piece of pressure, right? Like you want to be the one that's like, oh, well, she has the hot boyfriend or she has the hot girlfriend or whatever it is. It's like another piece of society that is just so messed up. But if you really want to be happy in a relationship, looks aren't going to get you anywhere. And I think that can relate to your own body too. Like if you want to be happy in your body, like the way it looks, isn't going to get you anywhere.
0: And also, bodies change and we, you know, our faces change. Like we change as humans. Like we're not everlasting. I don't know if you guys ever watched that movie or book, but basically, like the point is, you know, we evolve as humans internally and externally as well. But for some reason, the internal is looked upon as this amazing thing like, oh, growth and you evolved as a person. But when it's on the outside, just given the culture that we live in, it's honestly looked down upon even with like aging, how everyone just wants to look young, like 90 year olds looking like they're 60. And so Molly, everything you said about the dating piece, I love, but I keep going back to some of the conversations that I have with clients who are physically on dates and, you know, we always, I think our brains are just naturally wired to think the worst in certain situations. And so when someone is sitting there on a date and they're thinking, like, oh my God, are they judging me for my body? Right. What you're saying makes complete sense. But what do you say to someone who is so worried that maybe their dating app pictures don't look similar to how their body looks or they feel like the person across from them will be disappointed. And I'm saying these things because this keeps happening in a lot of my client sessions. <laughs> so selfishly want to know.
2: Yeah, absolutely. First and foremost, I would say um intentionally choose to have photos that are current and also intentionally choose to put up a couple of full body photos because that is going to weed out the fat phobic people. It is absolutely going to weed them out. And it sucks. Yeah, you might be getting less matches, but wouldn't you rather have less dates and worry less on those dates than go on more dates where you're constantly worrying. So I know it sounds really scary to like be like, I have to put a full body photo up on my profile. Um, but yes, I would say absolutely yes because you're going to get a higher quality pool of people <laughs> reaching out to you because you're showing up as your authentic self right? They are seeing the real you. They are reaching out to and wanting to connect with the real you. And so when you do go on a date with that person, there's automatically going to be less worries because you're like, he's seen all of me and is still interested. Now with that being said, there will still be times and people who are still worried when they're on the date, right? They're like still worried. Like, what are they thinking about my body X, Y, and Z. And so I encourage you to get curious about when those worries started and like, you can kind of call it like a part. There's so many different ways to like approach this, but like that, like part that's worried about body size or worried about a partner, right? So getting, using all of those thoughts that are running through your head as an opportunity to connect with yourself and understand that part better. Why is it constantly yelling those thoughts at you? What is it there to keep you safe from? How is it trying to support you, right? And the the likelihood is probably when you get down to it, that part and those voices and those thoughts are probably trying to direct you to a really great partnership, right? So the key here is getting curious about those thoughts. Where did they come from? How are they trying to protect me? When's the first time I remember thinking of that? What was the situation then? And the key here is to get down to What are they trying to to help me with? And realizing that you're probably on the same team. You and those thoughts, you're on the same team. You're just trying to find a really good partnership. So the key is to say, all right, thoughts, all right, part, that's saying these thoughts, right? We're on the same team. We've got the same goal. So let me be in the driver's seat here. You can still be on the bus, right? You're welcome here. I'm not trying to get rid of this part because you've had so much value for me over the years but I'm going to drive the bus, right? So getting clear on those thoughts. There's also so many different approaches you can take in terms of like, doing some reframes of those thoughts, understanding the core desires underneath them and stepping towards those things and doing tangible things for them. So all those thoughts and those feelings are just information. So my suggestions would be one, put your authentic self on your dating app. It's gonna weed out the people that are just not a good fit because they're judging you for your body. So good, like that's a good thing. If we aren't getting matches from people because they're judging you for your body, that's a good thing thing, right? So put your authentic self out there. And when you do notice these thoughts and feelings come up, it's a great opportunity to connect and get more information from them. So you can better understand yourself.
1: Good advice. I've never been on, well, I, I went on a dating app literally right before I met Austin and, um, it was the league and you had to literally get accepted, which is a problem within itself. But, um, I remember he was over one time and I was like, oh my God, I got accepted to the league. And I was like, well, guess I don't need it anymore. So I've never really had to experience the whole dating app scenario. But if I did, that is such good advice because I think that completely takes such a big piece of the anxiety away when you actually do meet them in
2: person. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah, it might be scary initially to put those pictures up there, but I promise you showing up as your authentic self is always going to provide benefits 100% of the time. You might lose people in the process. You might get less matches. But in the end, your goal is to not get the most matches. It's to find the best match. So that's what that's going to do for you.
0: Well, people always say it just takes one. Yeah. (laughs) It really just takes one person. And that's your person.
2: Yeah. And one thing that um, that my best friend says all the time, again, who's a dating coach, is... 90 first, 95% of the people are not supposed to be a good match. They're not going to work out 95% of the time or more, right? So it's like when we're getting rejected constantly or being like oh they're not a good fit for me, it's like That's the process. (laughs) It is part of the process to to both be rejected and also to reject other people. And 95% of the people are not supposed to be a good match and they will not be. And so I think so many people are very afraid of rejection, but rejection is just part of the process and it's just redirection closer to, to your person. Like when I started dating really intentionally and leading with things like kindness, every single time I was like, Oh, I'm closer, but it's not quite the right fit. And then I was like, oh, I'm even closer, but not quite the right fit. Right. It's all just good information along the way. It does suck to be rejected. It does suck to reject people. But um, in the end, your your goal is not to, you know, please other people, it's to find your partner. So
1: yeah, I love saying rejection is protection because really at the end of the day, it's protecting you from something or it's it's protecting you from a certain situation so that you can, another door will open for a better situation.
0: Mm-hmm. And honestly, so I was rejected several times until I met my current partner and we're moving in tomorrow. Oh. So I am so grateful that I was rejected like three or four times yeah. in a row from people that I really liked, but they just weren't my right. person. And I, yeah, it's it's so yeah. true.
2: Yeah, I had a big rejection at the beginning of the pandemic. And I look back now and I'm like, thank
0: goodness. Yeah.
2: (laughs) Like there's no way to the emotional piece of what I needed. There was no way. There was no way. So I'm like, thank goodness that that happened. So, um, it takes a little time sometimes to be able to see it that way, but know that rejection is coming your way. It's protection It's redirection and it's all good. I love it. Thank
1: you so much. This was amazing. Uh, And what was I gonna Oh, where can people find
2: you? (laughs) So I hang out on Instagram the absolute most. And so that's probably the best place to to find me. It has all my information, lots of great free content. um, And
0: my Instagram handle is just mollykatewellness. Amazing. And definitely follow Molly. She puts out really great content and reels and all of that fun stuff. So absolutely follow Molly and Molly, thank you so much for coming on. This was truly a blast and you are really a wealth of knowledge. So this is fantastic. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next.